Good morning, House of Mercy. That wasn't bad, but I know, you can, I know we can be a little more enthusiastic. Good morning, House of Mercy. Um, it's good to be with you, even if on um, last minute, relatively exciting notice. So we will see what happens, and we will see what the Lord does. So uh, before I get into it, I was not here. I was, I was, I was not present with you all two weeks ago because I uh, was preaching at Story Hill Church in Davidson. So I was driving down. I'm, gonna, I'm prone to wander, so I'm just going to move this. Um, Bobby, where, I lied to you. I want that one. You know, just, everything's fine. Everything's under control. So, um, so two Sundays ago, I left. You know, They had to serve. The service started at 9, and so I left early in the morning uh, with my man Gus. If you don't know who Gus is, he's my 1999 Subaru Legacy Outback. Um, pre-millennium cassette player. Uh, that, that, that's my longest standing relationship. I bought Gus when I got out of, when I graduated college and the first thing I did was drive him from Seattle to Boston. And so my Gus and I, we've been, I mean, we've been together a long time. We've been through it. And so, uh, Gus and I were driving down the mountain on a beautiful morning and, uh, I seemed like he was spitting off a little more exhaust than he normally does, but it was cold. So yeah, it's probably fine. Uh, and then about 90 minutes in the heater went out, which was kind of weird. Hadn't done that before. Um, I was like, yeah, whatever. He's just a little creaky. Uh, and then we get to the Davidson exit. So I'm coming off I-77. I get onto the Davidson roundabout, and bang, head gasket blows. All the lights start flashing. The power steering dies, and smoke starts billowing out of from under the hood of my car. And he dies right in the middle of the roundabout. Just dead. Dead on arrival. And so uh, I did what any sensible girl would do and I ditched the car because I had to preach like I had a sound check in like 10 minutes so I called the pastor and I was like so the good news is I'm in Davidson the bad news is I need to be rescued you have to come get me so I left the car unlocked key on the seat note on the dash like if anybody can move it go with God uh, and I just started walking uh, and I get to church I make it in time for the sound check praise God and as people are coming into church, they're like, yeah, it's kind of weird. We had to get around this Subaru and the roundabout, and there were cop cars and a fire truck. And I'm like, a fire truck? Like, who called the fire truck? Uh, and by the end of the service, I had a voicemail on my phone that came mid-sermon from the police who inquired why I had left my car smoking in the middle of the roads like an IED that had, that had gone off. Um, and fortunately, we got a hold of them. And here's what I learned. Here's the first moral of this story is the best place on the planet to have a car disaster is a church in the south on a Sunday morning. Um, Because all you old southern boys out there, you are born and bred for that moment. Like, that is your time to shine. And I was in distress, and I needed to be cared for. And so um, I was actually deeply blessed and cared for by this contingent of like five dudes who just, just rose up to the occasion. And it was actually a very redemptive experience of a culture that's sometimes difficult for me to understand. But um, those guys really blessed me and, and really looked out. And like one guy went and towed Gus off to car heaven, and he has gone on to glory uh, to be with Jesus. So... The moral, moral of the story, number one, Southern guys, bless you um, in, in, in that. Uh, moral of the story, number two, though, is it really gets you thinking. Like, there's nothing like a car blowing up on you to kind of have a reckoning with your mortality, right? Because what if the head gasket had blown 30 seconds sooner when I was still on I-77? Uh, what if it had blown on a busy Friday afternoon and not a really sleepy Sunday morning? Uh, it's those kinds of moments that make you realize just how fragile 
our lives really are. Um, we are constantly in a state of fragility. I think we just often don't pay attention to it. And so last Wednesday, Katie, I'm sorry, I'm going to screw up your whole setup. I'm, I apologize. Um, last Wednesday, uh, does anybody know what ends, what last Wednesday was? Pop quiz. Ash Wednesday. Stephanie, my girl, well done. It was Ash Wednesday. So Ash Wednesday is the kickoff to the season of Lent, uh, which has been practiced by the church for a very, very long time. It's the 40-day ramp up to Easter, uh, which is meant to, re- to remind you to kind of enter into the story of Jesus and his 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, right? There's a lot of layers uh, to what happens in Lent. So does anybody know what the day before Ash Wednesday is? Yeah, Mardi Gras. Somebody got it, right? Mardi Gras. So Mardi Gras literally means Fat Tuesday. And it's called that because it's your last chance to party before Lent kicks in. And you got to fast for the next 40 days. That's literally why Mardi Gras exists. Um, but here's the good part is actually when you get to Easter, Easter is supposed to kick off 50 days of feasting. And I don't know why we leave that part out. Like, that's the best part. Um, and the point, actually, because in the Christian life, the feasting will always outlast the morning in the end. But we're not there yet. And today is the first Sunday of Lent. And so this is the sermon that's all about how you're going to die. This is what happens when Chad isn't here. Uh, You, my friends, are all going to die. Um, And a friend of mine actually uh, told me one time that uh, we all actually die three times. And so your first death is when they put your body in the ground. You are six feet under. uh, When your life ceases to exist on this earth. Your second death is the death of everybody who ever knew you. So you are no longer a living memory. You're just a name. You're just an idea. And your last death is the last time that your name is uttered. And you are erased from history. Right? So everything you ever cared about everything you ever worked for is forgotten. Nobody left remembers. Chew on that this Sunday morning. And if you don't believe me um, that our lives, our memories are really this fragile, um, how many of you actually know the names of all eight of your great-grandparents? Anybody? Your great-grandparents, all eight of your great-grandparents. I could do six, which I feel like is pretty good. My mom came from Mormon family, so they're like all up on that. Um, But six out of eight, that's a pretty good return. Um, Y'all, these are people directly responsible for your existence who are within living memory. And we don't know their names, which is tragic, but also reality. That's the way life is. Um, It is fleeting. And... I don't think there's any culture on earth that tries harder to avoid death than, than the U.S., than Americans. Like, we obsess over this. We obsess over fitness and nutrition and medicine and health, and we are trying to outrun it as hard as we can. And the truth is, my friends, we can't. Because you are going to die. And I am going to die. And I hope and pray that that happens many decades from now, uh, for all of us, but the fact is some of us are going to die sooner rather than later. Uh, And when it comes to the reality of death, we really have two options. You can live in a state of denial or you can stare it down. And the scriptures are very clear about what the better choice is. And so our passage for this morning is out of the prophet Joel. 
And this has been read by the church around the world um, for the beginning of Lent for a long, long time, for centuries. And it goes like this. We're in Joel chapter 2, and the, the lectionary has it verses 1 through 2 and verses 12 through 14, if you'd like to follow along. So blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be again uh, in ages to come. Even now, declares the Lord, now we're down at verse 12, uh, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, and slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind the blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. We all pray with me this morning. Lord, um, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And God, if uh, what we discuss this morning honors you, may it be remembered. Uh, and if I say something stupid, God, let it separate from us as far as the east is from the west. And we say this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so uh, Joel is talking about a very important theme that we see all throughout the Bible, and it's called the, the day of the Lord. And the prophets uh, talk about this all the time. Um, and the day of the Lord is good news and bad news. So the good news is that one day... Justice is finally going to be done, once and for all. Um, the world is not the way that it was supposed to be. I probably don't have to explain that to you. Uh, you all know that viscerally. It is not the way it is supposed to be, but soon God is going to make everything right. And so those who have suffered human trafficking or child abuse and poverty and racism and any kind of injustice are finally going to be vindicated. And the wicked are going to face justice. Uh, and shrapnel from the fall, like divorce and anxiety and even death itself, will be no more. And God is actually going to undo all of the evil in the world and all of its symptoms and heal the whole world at last. That's the good, yeah, amen, Stephanie, amen indeed. That is the good news of the day of the Lord. That's why we wait for it. Um, but here's the bad news. Because the evil in the world isn't just out there. It's also in here. Right? Because uh, I'm not the way that I'm supposed to be. And I break stuff all the time. Like promises. And relationships. And I hurt people. And sometimes I do it on purpose. And so when God's justice is done, if God's going to incinerate all the evil and everything that's wrong with this world... The bad news is that very much includes me. So what do we do about that? Where is the good news in the midst of this bad news? Uh, and, and here's the thing. I actually love Ash Wednesday, and I think we really need Ash Wednesday. Uh, especially those of us who, grow up, who have grown up in the comfort and security of the West, who have grown up in upper middle class, more affluent America. We need to be reminded of this because we are distracting ourselves to death on TikTok and with our jobs, and with just the busyness of our everyday lives. And Joel is trying to hit you in the face with a two-by-four. 
And it's not to bring you to despair. Um, It's to wake you up and make you alive again. To remember what actually matters. uh, To remember your priorities and to rescue you from yourself. Um, And I think he's got two warnings in particular that are very helpful for us. And so uh, his warning number one is don't procrastinate. Everybody say don't procrastinate. There you go. Good job. Such good students. So um, my best friend is Jacqueline Callison. We met um, our first week of our freshman year of college. Uh, we're still best friends. Uh, she's an amazing, she's one of the most Jesus-y people I know. She's an amazing teacher and wife and mom, and she was a great student and worked really hard. Uh, and all throughout our college years, the woman drove me freaking crazy because she was physiologically incapable of starting any assignment more than 24 hours before it was due do it. It defied science. Like, every single time. And then, of course, that day, that 24-hour mark hits, and she loses her ever-loving mind. But you know what? She got it done every time. She got straight A's. Like, it just baffles me. Her husband, her, and she's still like that, right? For, I know that we got teachers in the house. The woman doesn't set up her classroom for the year until the day before. I mean, it's just, she's got the procrastinate, procrastination disease. Her husband's given up. He's just come to terms. And, um, I know some of you crazy people are like this. Like, you need the pressure to do your best work. And, and apparently that works for some people, you know? Like, whether it's doing your homework or cleaning your house or your business presentation or whatever. If that's, if that's you, Godspeed. Go with God. Power to you. But I do think what Joel wants us to know is there are some things that you uh, can't procrastinate on. Because you don't know when the deadline is. You don't actually know when you're out of time. And it can be incredibly tempting in sort of the busyness of our day-to-day lives to get the procrastination virus when it comes to big questions about faith and about life and what matters. Uh, You know, I'll figure out all the God stuff uh, when I get a little more established in my career or when I have kids or when I retire or wherever the goal line is. Um, It's easy to push that back because you think you have time. And people of God, hear me. You don't. Your life is a vapor in the wind, here today and evaporated tomorrow. And uh, the scriptures are begging you, begging you not to put off wrestling uh, with the questions and the commitments that matter the most. Um, Listen again to what Joel has to say. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Because the hard truth is, y'all, your head casket could blow on I-40 tomorrow. And when you meet the Lord face to face, you might wish your priorities had been different. And the Apostle Paul reiterates this in another passage that is frequently read on Ash Wednesday. This is out of 2 Corinthians, if you want to follow along. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Paul says this, uh, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, 
Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So that's the first warning for both from Joel and from the Apostle Paul, right? Don't procrastinate. And here's the second one. Don't be a poser. Repeat after me. Don't be a poser. Yes, nicely done. Uh, So again, this is from Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Rend means to tear, right? Tear your heart, not your clothes. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. God is not interested in you faking it. And he actually doesn't care if you say you believe in him. The New Testament is very clear on this. If the demons believe in God, the demons would acknowledge that God exists. Uh, That is not the point. What God really wants is your heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about something very different from the way that we use that word, especially when it comes to the holiday that we all just endured, uh, Valentine's Day, and trapping husbands and boyfriends for for generations. Uh, And so it's like the greatest commercial hustle, right? You know, what's the horrible chalk candy that Sweethearts, is that what it is with the thing stamped on it, right? And you've got all these obnoxious heart decorations, all these terrible romance movies, right? So when, when we use the word heart in our culture, yeah, some of the Hallmark movie fans out there, God, you know, God bless you. Um, be that as it may. Uh, when you, we use the word heart, we usually mean warm, fuzzy feelings, right? How I feel. And that's actually not what the Bible is saying, Your emotions are part of it, but those are not actually the whole story. And so uh, when the Bible is talking about your heart, uh, Tim Keller helps explain this. He did some really wonderful work on this. And this is what he says. In the Bible, the heart is not the seat of the emotions. It's the control center of your life. The things you commit to and trust in. It affects your mind, your will, and what you believe as well as your emotions. So when Joel is telling us to rend our hearts, to tear our hearts, what he's not saying is to conjure up a sad feeling. Um, he's actually inviting us to change the entire orientation of our lives. To change what you love the most, where you give your time and attention and your affection. And this is not something that we can do just through willpower or by just intellectually agreeing to a new idea. And again, as as Tim Keller says, he says the real change happens by feeding the imagination new beauties so you love Jesus supremely. We change when we change what we worship the most. And we do that by seeing that Jesus' own heart was crushed and broken as he died on the cross for us. It is as we worship a crucified Savior that our hearts are transformed. And so this is what brings us back to Lent, because Lent is all about this repentance and renewal and fasting and remembering that one day every single one of us is going to die and face God's judgments. And when we do, if we trust Jesus, we will experience not destruction, but everlasting life. That is the promise of God, because God rescued us himself when we wouldn't and we couldn't do it. Uh, And in the words of Joel, God is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger He's got a long fuse, right? He's abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. 
That's who God is and who God has always been. Jesus, the Lord of, of steadfast love and grace. And through his death, you get to be a part of his real, lasting life that starts right now and is not just about after you die. And so Lent is this time that's set aside to build new habits. And if you've come from maybe a Catholic or a high church tradition, you might be familiar with that. You might have a little bit of baggage around that. So hopefully we can reframe that. If you didn't come from uh, something like Catholicism, this may be totally new information to you, and that's okay. Um, But the whole reason that Lent is about new habits is that habits help shape your heart in the way that Tim Keller is is talking about. It's how you learn to love new things. And it, it, these habits teach us to recognize all the ways that we actually trust other stuff and rely on other stuff more than we trust God, right? All of the ways that we default to getting our fix from TikTok or caffeine and noticing how, man, I always go to that before I actually go to Jesus. That's what, what Lent is wanting you to do. It's to help you notice and to teach you how to love God more in new and different ways and different aspects of your life. It creates this space for the Holy Spirit to start to root out some of those um, destructive habits and selfishness that still wreak havoc in my own life. And so in this season of fasting and repentance, right, these 40 days living with Jesus in the wilderness, again, that's kind of the story that you enter into, um, I'd invite you all to try something. And that's either uh, give something up or add something. Give something up or add something. So fasting is designed to remind us, again, that ultimately only Jesus can satisfy. So every time that you wish you were eating sugar or on TikTok or drinking alcohol or doing, you know, whatever the thing may be, uh, you remember that you really need Jesus the most. That's all it's designed to do. And so maybe a good practice for you would be to give something up uh, this lens. On the flip side, another option is to add something, is to add a habit to your life that will create space uh, to grow the good things of God. Right? Maybe that's uh, you, the first thing you do in, in the morning is, is read a few Bible verses instead of going to your phone. Uh, or maybe you kneel by your bed at night to pray or take a walk and pray. Or maybe you join a House of Mercy small group or, you know, whatever it is. Um, you go to, it's about going to a spiritual gym to train your body and your heart to learn to love Good things, right? Because anything worth doing takes a little practice. Uh, And so, my friends, uh, death is a reality. And on Wednesday, I put ashes on the foreheads of my college students to remind them that they are going to die. And Christians have practiced that for millennia. That's a longstanding tradition in the church. And it's actually always a pretty emotional thing for me. It's kind of hard to look into the eyes of a 20-year-old and tell them the words that God spoke to Adam and Eve when they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, which is remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. And we need to remember that without God's grace and his presence in our lives, we are nothing more than ashes and dust. But the good news of Ash Wednesday, the good news of Lent, is death does not have the last word. It's the good news of the gospel. And so, friends, in this season of Lent, uh, repent and believe the good news. Because in Jesus, death has been swallowed up by life. Uh, And I pray that you come to learn to trust him and love him and know him more in a new way in this season of Lent. Uh, Let me pray for us.
Thanks, Lord, that this is true, that in you, death has been swallowed up by life. And so, Holy Spirit, will you come and do a new thing in our hearts? Will you expose in us this lens, all the things that we, that we love and trust more than you? Um, and, Lord, will you shape us to look more like you and to invite us deeper into your abundant resurrection life? We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.